Pod, 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 Pod. Rugby Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan, Big Jim and Gertie are with me as usual. We'll be looking back on all the confusion, the controversy and the positives in the Guinness Six Nations at the weekend. Plus we'll be joined by Ireland's Jacob Stockdale to get an update on his injury, his thoughts on Ireland, Ulster and the showdown at Twickenham against England. So settle back, enjoy and make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. Jim, you've been back to school, mate. I have, that's right. I sent Goody the screenshot. I passed my motorcycle theory test for the fourth, fifth, maybe, I'll be honest with you, it's the sixth time I've taken it. It's a joke, really. It's not a joke, it's much needed, but my goodness me. You know what it is with tests, and I'm not very good at this. Maybe it's the ADHD in me, I'm not too sure. Don't blame Mrs. Goody. I wasn't going to blame Miss Goody because it's easy to blame, and I'm not going to do that because I need to look inwards, I need to look at myself. Multiple choice. I know the answer to the question, but when there's four answers or four potential answers to that question, I'm thinking, is it that? Is it that? Like, does a motorcycle run on wheels or feet? And I'm there thinking, is it feet? It's got both. You have to put the feet out, don't you, to hold it up? Well, I call my wheels feet. He's got wheels. He's got feet. There was a few questions like that that just threw me, and that's my excuse. But anyway, I passed, and I'm on the journey now to look cool as shit and drive across America like a hell's angel uh, without the robberies and the murders and the pillaging. So I'm on the journey, and it's a great start to the week for me. I'm very proud of myself. Can I just ask you, Jim, this is a theory test that when you've been living in Edinburgh for a while now, but you drove down about six hours into England to take it, failed, had to drive back, did it again another time. I mean, we're going back pre-pandemic, aren't we, for that? Well, it was the pandemic that I had to drive to Blackpool and failed by one point. And <laughs> it was a disgrace. It's the different signs and stuff like that. It's like, because there's trams and stuff now, isn't there? There's obviously airplanes, trains, automobiles, cyclists, horse riders, jade walkers, scooters. There's a, a lot's happened since I bought me test in South Africa. There's a lot, there's a lot <laughs> that has happened along the way. So... It's uh, it's the evolution, and anyway, I'm proud of myself. I'm waffling, but I'm proud of myself. Well done, Jim. You sound really sincere then, Andy Rowe. I mean... Andy Rowe's coming home, that's why. Andy Rowe's coming back to the UK. He's coming back to Europe. It's absolute bedlam in Europe at the minute, as he knows, and he's not happy. And for the listeners, you can't see the background of Andy Rowe. There's basically... Are you in a skip or somewhere? Because zero effort is what I'm trying to say. He's thought... I'm coming back to the UK. Fuck it. I ain't bothered today. My old man is a 65-year-old farmer, and right now I'm sitting in his office, which is like a little snapshot into his mind. It is absolute chaos. There's, I mean, you, could, you couldn't see the stuff in front of me as well. There's just paper shit everywhere. It's where they wash the tractors, effectively, and wash the, <laughs> the machinery. And uh, There's porn mags as well I can see in the background there. Yeah, yeah, he loves a bit of hustler. Loves a bit of hustler, the old man. <laughs> I could see Romper Stomper there. What's that one there with the horse on the front? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, you're coming home then, Andy Rowe. Yeah, well, I've got to come back because by the sounds of it, Freddie's been doing a good job at the live shows and I don't want to lose my job. Well, you've lost it. Mate, you're doing this, but the live shows ain't your gig anymore. Freddie Cloud <laughs> has pulled the guitar out and has made me sound a million dollars on the mic and Goody, to be fair. So... I wouldn't worry about the live shows. We were in Cardiff on Thursday. Andrew, decent crowd, was it? I think there was 350. Let's round it up to 1,000 with Ryan Jones. It it was really good. The Guinness was going down smoothly. I bought my own bottle of Blackcurrant to the venue, but they had one for me anyway. So, mate, it was good. Really good. The Welsh, they took a little bit of warming up because they couldn't work out. You know, there's obviously Ryan Jones there, who's a legend in those parts. Jim, Scottish hero, and myself, an Englishman. I just had to tell him I was a quarter Welsh and I got a cheer, so... That quarter Welsh in me was not very good at the weekend, though, because I was three quarters English and we absolutely dominated them. But we'll get to that later. Hell of a night in Cardiff, mind. And you've had an otherwise good week, Goody. What have you been up to, mate? Yeah, I was I was busy boy Saturday, working a lot at Twickenham, which was great. Massive shout out to a lot of people that we saw there. People love the podcast. I said this to Jim the other day. Who cares about our rugby careers now? Because it's all about the podcast, Jim. We get shouted at down the street. I was on the phone to Jim the other day, walking through the city in London, and some bloke's like, Goody, you legend. I think that's what he said. Now, he might have said, you fat fuck. I don't know. But he shouted out, and then he messaged me on Instagram and said, sorry, mate, that was me shouting out your name earlier. Love the pod. Does a lot for me. So, yeah, taken aback by 
when you get into a big crowd of 82,000 people and you're walking around the stadium, there's obviously the hospitality that's rammed and you go into five or six different rooms to do your Q&As pre-match and, you know, you're bouncing from room to room and people are saying they absolutely love it. I mean, people are mad. I'm in one room, Jim, and some big unit comes up to me. I say big unit, he made me look fucking small. And I'm not talking height, I'm talking around the girth. I thought, I looked at him, I thought, mate, you need to lay off that Guinness. And maybe that's what people think about when I drink Guinness. But he said to me, he goes, Goody, where's Big Jim? I'm like, fucking Scotland are playing France at home, getting their pants pulled down. And you're asking me where Big Jim, as if he's going to be at England, Wales. He's Scottish. He's like, oh, I thought you lived together. I'm like, I mean. We eat together. That's it. We do. But what you're trying to say is, Andrew, is that you're bigger than Marcus Smith, effectively. So when you walk into Twickenham, we collectively, but you, because you're holding the fort at Twickenham, we're bigger than Marcus Smith, is what you're saying, humbly. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Bigger than a few of them, but maybe not Marcus Smith. But yeah, good weekend. Good weekend. Well, it's a good opportunity to see just how big we are. Don't forget, it is the last week you can vote for us on the Sports Podcast Awards. Just head to sportspodcastawards.com to register and vote for us in the rugby section. It'll only take you a couple of minutes. Well, let's talk about the rugby then and have a look at Twickenham. You guys got the win, Goody, but should you have maybe seen it out a little bit more comfortably? Yeah, I think when you're 17-0 up, and the dominance we had in the first half, Wales were always going to come back into the game. We spoke about it before. They had some threats. Their back line is pretty decent, isn't it, on paper. I think England will be a bit frustrated with not creating enough chances from a lot of the possession and territory and dominance that they had. And, you know, that is the mark of a, a new team that's put together, uh, new combinations. I've been pretty honest on here saying that we're a team, I think we're a team in transition building towards a World Cup. And obviously, 9, 10 haven't played together at all, really. In the centres, obviously, Henry Slade and Elliot Daly haven't played together very much. So a, a lot of stuff is building towards 18 months' time. And there's a lot of learnings to go on out there. It, it was some good stuff. We weren't clinic enough. You know, bottom line is, well, scored three tries. We scored one that... Probably shouldn't have been, but it was. And you can get into the nitty-gritty of stuff. Mike Adamson, the referee, gave us a big rub of the green for a lot of decisions. And it goes, that, that's the way it goes. You talk about the game last year against Wales and they got the rub of the green and they won from the referee. But, you know, this year, I th- it's great to get a win. It's not beat around the bush. If And I say it again, if Eddie Jones hadn't made those changes up in Scotland, we'd still be on for a Grand Slam, boys. But we're still in the title hunt, aren't we? We may have the two toughest games to come with Ireland at home and then France away. But it was a win. And it was a bit underwhelming at the end because, you know, we were 11 points up with a few minutes to go and then the scoreboard reads, you know, a four-point victory. It should have been way more comfortable than it was, is is the reality of what I'm saying. I think what we've seen, and I'm happy to fall on my sword, and this has made me more of a Welsh fan than ever, is actually, backs to the wall, how the Welsh team front up. And I know in the lead-up to the game... They lost Manu Tuolangi for England. And that would have been much better for the Welsh team, wouldn't it? Of course, looking at that English team without a Manu Tuolangi, Elliot Daly comes in at 13, Slade moves across to 12. But the way that they fronted up in the first half, they didn't really fire a shot. And that was what Dan Mm. Bigger said after the game. But physically, they were there. Ross Moriarty made a couple of mistakes in in the game. But physically, him, Faletau, Basham, I thought Beard played really well in the second row as well. Physically, they took England on. They were physical at the breakdown. Both teams were... And I just thought the battle of the back row kind of summed up the game because a lot of the aftermath of it, and I saw a few memes going out there about how boring the game was. Brian Moore put a a tweet out saying the game went on for 101 minutes or something like that. Apart from the scrums, which were stop-start, I actually saw that as a proper test match. I thought it was physical. I thought there was key, like big moments that which we'll talk about. I thought Wales rocked up, and I, and I, I agree with you. And again, it's easy to sit here and open up the referees, and I've been called out for screenshotting the interference at the line-out where Don Brandt scores, and apparently it isn't the rugby values because we're talking about the referee again. But we don't want to talk about the referee. I don't want to talk about the referee. I like Mike Adamson. I like the referees that are refereeing the game. It's a tough job. We've said that. But I'm frustrated that the game has come down to talking points like that. The Ireland-Italy games come to... Talking points around that. Scotland were robbed by the referee. We should have beaten France by 30 <laughs> points. I'm joking. But from a Welsh perspective, because I've bagged Wales, I've said that they're going to struggle in games gone by. And I know they lost, all right? But my goodness me, did they front up physically. Dan Bigger again was brilliant. Thomas Williams as well at scrum half. Josh Adams, Cuthbert. To a man, I think they gave everything. Yeah, Cuthbert was ridiculous. You know, the week that he had... Uh, obviously 
and I tweeted about it, his baby daughter was born in the week, his 50th cap. People questioning his place in the team because Lewis Rusamic got sent back to Gloucester. My God, Cuthbert. And you talk about best players in the field. Cuthbert was, I think he was the best player on the field. If not, he was up there in the top three. And, you, and you're right, Jim. Josh Adams, ridiculously good again. You know, their issue was they didn't start playing really until the second half, did they, when it was 17-0. There'll be some frustrating things. I've got a question, Liam Williams, though, because as much as I'm with you, Jim, on seeing how the Welsh dug in and you know, backs against the wall, there's a bit of footballer coming out in Liam Williams. It's an easy thing to say it's a bit of football behaviour coming out. A couple of things I noticed. Firstly, you know when he gets in-binned and he slaps the ball out of the hand? Did you see him hold his face as if he'd been whacked and he was pretending it wasn't him and trying to make out he'd got an injury or something? Or he was thinking, fuck, what have I just done? Maybe that was it. Well, maybe. But you're like, that's football in terms of faking something, an injury or whatever, or holding your face for it when you've not even been touched or whatever. And then the second thing, when Josh Adams gets over for that try, I mean, what a seed from Thomas Williams as well right across the face. He's shushing the crowd. They're 17-0 down. He's shushing the crowd before Josh Adams has even got the ball down. Unbelievable photo. When it's all said and done, people won't know whether he won, lost or drew that game. Shushing the crowd at Twickenham, you just say you won that day. You take it, you won. <laughs> and you're like, my dad is an absolute legend. Yeah. So I was just trying to work it out whether, um, you know, you talk about the values of the game, you talk about how much the Welsh put into it and backs against the wall. But then you've got Leo Williams behaving like that a little bit. It just it just didn't add up to me. But they were good Wales. That, you know, people thought they could have got blown away. England kicked their goals, respectfully kicked their goals. The one time they went for a scrum in that first half when they could have kicked three points, Carl Sinclair stands up in the scrum and it gets turned around just after Liam Williams got Simbin, wasn't it? And so, you know, England need to take more opportunities. They're creating bits. We're not as clinical as we need to be, you know, once we get down towards the 22 you know, that's because it's a, a team that's been put together that's coached by Eddie Jones that's probably still shitting themselves because they've, they've not got many caps and Eddie runs a autocratic environment that is his way of the highway kind of thing. So there's a bit of confusion in how England play and it's still coming through and they're developing and you hear the noises that Eddie Jones makes around, yeah, mate, but not scared of anyone, mate. Well, if we play that way at times against France or Ireland, then um, it's going to be a, a pretty tough afternoon. But going back to Wales, they were good and they exceeded a lot of people's expectations, including Jim Hamilton's, who's been writing them off for a couple of years. Should England's try have been to Salad? Straight headline, Andy Rowe. Let's get into it. I tweeted about it after the game and let's get this right. England fans coming at me, they're being a bit shitty. Social media and the energy around that has changed in rugby. Again, something I've spoken about recently. Just go and have a look at the comments. Jim Hamilton 4. Follow me if you don't already. <laughs> You're not buying followers, no? Not on Twitter, no. But I've not put that tweet out there to cause a stir or whatever. And I know Eddie Jones spoke about the game in Wales where 14 points were scored by Wales that he perceived or many people perceived shouldn't have, shouldn't have been a try. I'm just pointing that out as a line-out technician, a guru, and the one try that England scored, because it looked embarrassing from a Wales standpoint to concede a try like that where their line-out still didn't function great, to be honest. And we spoke about that last week in terms of how they would function with Will Rowlands, Adam Beard, a Ross Moriarty, a Faletau, and a non-jumping seven in, in, in Tame Basham. And they struggled at line-out. But England have got a brilliant line-out, so we could understand that. But that one in itself, in that area of the field... It looks embarrassing for Wales in terms of Don Brandt going over unmarked. And I just wanted to make the point that the try shouldn't have stood. And we're talking about a glaringly obvious thing. That is my point. It isn't a grey area. It isn't you can understand how it's been missed. Like, it shouldn't have been a try, full stop. I'm not saying that Wales would have won the game. That isn't what I'm saying. I'm just highlighting that a big decision, a glaringly obvious decision in a test match in the Six Nations between two of the best teams up there in the world, it's not been picked up with all the technology we've got. Maratoji's closed the gap. Adam Beer's been bumped in the line and he couldn't get up in the air. There's a reason for that. And that's because it's illegal. It makes you question and wonder the influence of an Alan Wynne-Jones in that situation. Yeah, yeah. As a forward, as a captain, with the experience, all these things, you speak about experience, so I'm warming to that term now. In a game like that, would he have let that go? Adam Beard mentioned it. I saw him mention it. But if it was Alan Wynne-Jones, I think it would have been different. But it was just one of them things. I just highlighted it because it was so obvious. And there was a number of other things I'm sure we can go through. Courtney Law's not being simbined. I mean, 
whether or not that was a bigger moment, I don't think it was in the context of the way the game was unfolding. But England going down to 14 men at the end. And look, I'm a quarter English. I, I like England. I like a lot of the players. I played in England. I'm not anti-English, but I'm doing my job and I'm picking up on things. And again, it's easy to sit here and judge and say he should have done that. He, he should have done this. The ref should have picked this up. But that's what we're meant to do on here. This We're meant to open up a discussion. But I should say as well, I know they gave Marcus Smith man of the match. It should have been Marrow or Courtney Laws, in my opinion. An out-and-out influence on the game, Marotoji was best game he's played in ages. What did you make of Marcus Smith getting man of the match? Well, there was a lot of debate, wasn't there, on the TV with the greatest of all time, Lawrence Delalio, who sounded very hoarse. He did sound hoarse, didn't he? Look, let's say, he sounded like he'd been out till 7 o'clock in the morning. There you go. That's the Lawrence Delalio horse and he can turn up and he didn't want to pick it and rightly so. I agree with 99.9% of what Delalio says. If he tells me the sky doesn't exist, I'll, I'll nod. If he tells me that I can swim to the bottom of the ocean and catch an octopus with my toes, I believe him. Not with Mauler's toe, mate. But it's Delalio telling you that though. So if Delalio is telling you that, I'm questioning myself, but I'm taking it. I'm going down there to the bottom of the ocean. I'm grabbing that octopus, probably in its eye, and I'm swimming back up to the surface. But one thing I disagree with him ever was Marcus Smith getting man of the match at the weekend is what I'm trying to say. Uh, it should have went to a forward. I know there's a bit of debate around that. I thought Marotoji played the best game. He's played in a white shirt for a long time. thought Courtney Laws was brilliant in terms of his collisions. And I would have given it to one of them too. It was a bit of a surprise to some people. I thought Marcus Smith played pretty well, but I'm with you. I think Ellis Genge played really well. Scrums weren't hugely in our favour, I don't think. But the work he does around the park, his ball carrying, his effort. Did you see it towards the end? Did you see him chase back Liam Williams at the end? You're thinking, you've got a prop, he's done. Oh no, Ellis Genge puts the toe down and you see him grafting as hard as he can. And he's been in that. He's a, it's a big shift for him, wasn't it? It was. A, he was on for a hell of a long time. Emptied the tank right there, and he, he kept going back. And then I think he dived to make a tap tackle as well at the end from the pass as well. So uh, Genji was pretty good. Best player on the field for me probably was Alex Cuthbert. Every time he touched the ball, you know, he made big impacts. He got caught for a penalty once when they broke out their own twenty-two, which was you know, Jack Noel on him. But he skinned Jack Noel a couple of times, didn't he? Or at least once. He played really well. You can't give it to someone on the losing team, though, apparently. So Cuthbert was the best Welsh player for me and best English player, probably Marrow or Genji. Well, let's move on then. Jim, what happened, mate? What happened to Scotland? Oh, my days. Grand Slam was coming. The Championship. We got lucky against England. And then, I mean, there's downhill. And then they're skiing downhill as fast as you can. Those boys have gone downhill like you wouldn't believe it. What's happening? I mean, Finn Russell's had, he's had too many five guys. I'm going to say it. The white shirt, and I'm a man of experience in a tight white shirt, sometimes it ain't the best look. And when you're not working particularly hard after seven minutes and you're literally walking when Anton Dupont is playing like a worldie, something's not right there, Jim. The ref. Shocking. (laughs) (laughs) Carl Dixon. Mate, shocking. I actually thought he had a really good game. Look, this is a twofold answer from me. So watching it live at the game, and I did an article in the Times after, straight after the game. And what I saw and felt in the stadium was different to what I watched at home when I watched the game back. I was too harsh on Scotland after the game, having watched it live. It felt like we didn't turn up. And the energy in the stadium kind of dictated that. But when I went back and looked at it, I thought France were exceptional. So I think in my article, I said France didn't get out of third or fourth gear. If we're using the analogy of six gears... But I actually thought they were in fifth gear the whole way through. And there's a load of stuff that happened in that game around the Ponts break off Finn Russell's kick, Hoggy dropping the ball close to the try line. And we could talk about them things going forward. But a snapshot of the game was, oh my DuPont, watching him live, and I've seen him live before, but watching him as World Player of the Year, there ain't a better player on the planet at the minute. I'm watching him, both live and back on TV, monstering boys in the tackle. The speed of his pass is phenomenal. His breaks, I mean, everyone's talking about it and I'm just piggybacking what they're saying and reiterating that that is the goddamn truth right here, right now. But the way that France played is exactly how we thought if they turned up, they would play. Runners off nine, quick ball at the breakdown, unbelievable tries, UA, bounce of the ball, everything, just hysteria. And watching it back, that's exactly what it was. I even think if Scotland would have turned up 
at their very best, they would have struggled to beat France because I thought they were brilliant on the day. I know the scoreline's 36 points to 17. Duan van der Merwe scored a try at the end to kind of save, I don't know if seven points would have saved the blushes. Maybe it did. Maybe cracked over what it was. But we'll give a couple of positives to Scotland. I thought Duan van der Merwe, again, was world-class. He played for Worcester in the fallow week. Goody, you spoke about him saying about him turning up for Worcester. He's a big difference for them. Rory Darge on starting debut. 22 years old, Goody. 22 years old. You'd think from a Scotland perspective, we'd lose Hamish Watson on the Friday to COVID. Nick Haining comes in at six. Darge moves across to seven. And I've watched this kid. And friend of the show, and our former mentor, Richard Cockrell, didn't keep him at Edinburgh, effectively was surplus to requirements, goes over to Glasgow, carves up. And you talk about taking your opportunity. I thought he was, uh, I said he was the second best player on the pitch behind DuPont. Looking back, Aldry was all right. Penno was all right. Basically, Fiku was pretty good as well. But from a Scotland perspective, could we have done anything different? Could the team have done anything different? Yeah. We could have taken our opportunities. We could have been slightly more accurate at the breakdown where we struggled because how France's defence is. But I think we're talking about here the informed team in world rugby. And when they get it right, they look unplayable. And on Saturday against Scotland, they got it right. It's like, where do we go from here now? Where do the team go from here? We go to Rome. Wooden spoon game. Spoon game. It isn't. It isn't a spoon game, Andrew. It isn't. Don't tell me. But that's what I mean. But you're starting to throw that around now. That Again, so that's come back round. We should never be talking about Scotland going to Italy and might struggle. I don't think they will. Italy can't score tries. But the point is, we're going to struggle in Ireland, in Dublin. We are. Of course we are. It's bloody Ireland, one of the other form teams. So how do we look at Scotland? It's, it's difficult because we haven't really moved forward when you look at the scorelines and the performances. We've not been amazing. And we showed against Wales that we didn't need to play amazing to still be in the game. But we never looked like winning that game. And then we had a pants ball down. It's a good job I weren't wearing pants and I had to be killed on mopping the floors because, I mean, I would have needed three nappies. So that's my kind of snapshot of the game. But watching DuPont live, oh my golly gosh, is he good. And I think you look at the game and I'll be a bit nosy around things that happen in the game. So DuPont's break that led to the first try. The work rate of Finn Russell, he puts the kick through. My God, I've watched myself back a few times walking around a field. Normally, it was in about the 30th minute. At least I've got 30 minutes. Finn Russell, that's seven minutes in. What are you doing? What are you doing, Finn? You are one of the best players, or you are the talisman for that team in terms of how you play. You're not the skipper. Hoggy's an unbelievable player and a skipper, but when he's on fire and he's working and he's pulling things out of his iris to put people through holes, Scotland are ahead of a team. When he's walking around the field like that, and jogging. I don't even know where he's going. He's like running towards the touchline or something. And not even running. It's like the slowest jog you've ever seen. So that wasn't great. Then you look at, and you talk about how good the French were. They were ridiculous. Moafana's try where Cyril by you know, midfield, the ball from Dante out the back. You know, then they go hands to the corner and Cyril by gets the ball. A loose head prop's got six people on him, gets the offload over his head. Just fucking ridiculous, isn't it? But the big things around the game. So Scotland are 12-10 down. You know, the big... Break from Duan van der Merwe up the middle. Chris Harris pulls a beautiful line, switches off Duan van der Merwe, and it's a 4v1. Now, Chris Harris, if he pumps the ball, he throws the long ball to Hoggy, and people, I'm listening to the commentators, and I think it was Chris Patterson on, on commentary, is like, ah, he's got to catch that. But actually, it's the pass. It's not necessarily the catch, because it's right out in front of him. He's stretching for it. Chris Harris has got to pump the ball, try and fix, or try and at least get Untermack just to stick a little bit, because he's got Price on his outside shoulder. Schumann's there as well. That's a try all day long. Scotland score that 37 minutes and 40 seconds on the clock. You then go into half time ahead, different kettle of fish. What happens is they then go penalty, penalty, France score with Fiku in the corner just before half time. Back to back penalties given away by Scotland. One at the scrum, I think, and then one at the line out. Then France play, get to an edge. Fiku gets to the other edge and just skin someone on the outside to score the try, to put them even further ahead at half-time, and then the one after half-time. And th- th- that try, it's a massive swing of the game because had Hoggy scored or had Chris Harris have scored or had Ali Price have scored from that break, the feeling in the stadium changes massively because you're going ahead at half-time. Fiku scores just before half-time. That deflates everyone. And then after half-time... And Ali Price tried to buy a penalty, didn't he, by sort of passing the ball into Cameron Wockie when he's on the floor. And I like the referee saying, don't try and buy the penalty. What he got wrong then, when Ali Price knocks it on, Cameron Wockey's still on the floor, grabs the ball off the floor, picks it up, passes it. Scotland then 
are, are at six and sevens defensively. France got the outside, put the kick in. Obviously, it's a lucky bounce, falls into Dante's hands and they score. But the ref should have penalised Wocky for playing the ball on the floor. So that shouldn't have counted. But they weren't that far away, Scotland, as much as you know, I'm giving you banter on here, Jim, about your pants being pulled down, skid marks everywhere. 58% possession. And you had 18 minutes of attacking possession compared to France's 42% possession and 13 minutes of attacking possession. So France were unbelievably clinical. They've got ridiculous power across the team. And Scotland, you know, it just wasn't their day and, and things transpired against them. Finn Russell has had too many five guys and I think he'll be doing a bit of cardio this week. Well, there has been a lot of criticism about Finn Russell's work rate. You touched on it. And there's some videos doing the rounds. Shane Horgan described it as pathetic. What do you guys make of it? Well, I've seen the comments and I've seen the clip and Goody's alluded to it. And with Finn, you're going to get that, aren't you? I think with any player, you're going to get that in terms of high profile. But any player who's walking back into the line off the back of making a mistake. And that maybe shows that there is a vulnerability around Finn now. If we're speaking frankly, we love Finn on here. I do see him as a mate. I love what he does. I love what he stands for. I love the way that he plays the game the charisma, the, the maverick. But you have to start asking questions, don't you? Because he's driving a Rolls Royce around Edinburgh. You know, the week before, the pitchers are doing the rounds. Goody posted one with his side banana. After his win for Racing 92, comes back into the camp. And everything you're hearing out the camp that Finn is an ultimate professional, right? In terms of working with Blair Kinghorn, working with the backs, working with the coaches. So it does matter, right? But the proof is in the pudding as Goody knows, as a lot of big people know, it is in the pudding. And unfortunately for Finn, the last two games, he hasn't turned up, has he? For whatever reason, he just hasn't. The issue that Scotland have is Blair Kinghorn isn't the answer. As good as Blair Kinghorn is, tends arguably a second position. He's a 15, he's a bat three player. Adam Hastings isn't even in the squad. Al's Hastings not in the squad. I know he's been injured, but he's been playing pretty well for Gloucester over the last however many months. I don't know. Maybe it's his white tags out in London. I don't know. Maybe Gregor doesn't like that. I don't know. It's an interesting point and I don't know the answer. And I don't think anyone's going to tell me if I ask them in the camp. But you do wonder, Italy up next, whether Gregor, and we know this history between Gregor and Finn, whether a rocket gets put up Finn's backside, whether there'll be a lot of five guys, maybe not now because of losing that game, whether or not he puts a Blecking horn in or he brings an Adam Hastings into the squad. But You've got to try and find a way of motivating Finn or... I say that because it makes it sound like he's not motivated, but making him comfortable, making him take the reins because we've seen him have bad games before. We've seen him have bad moments in games before and he literally throws something out. But the way that France were playing, flying up on the outside, pushing Scotland back on the inside, we were getting turned over for fun. It just seemed like when you saw Finn get subbed off after 50-odd minutes, the shake of the head, walking off, it just felt like something weren't quite right. And I just hope he gets the opportunity to put it right against Italy. But the question goes forward, well, what do we do against Ireland then? My goodness me, especially if they beat England. What do you guys make of, well, it was a bit of a shambles, wasn't it, in Dublin? Italy finished the game with 12 players and had 13 players for about 60 minutes. Can Ireland really take much from that? No, I don't think you could take anything out of that at all. The big talking point was around why Italy had to go down to 13 men. So Lucchese goes off, the hooker, injured, Fiverr comes on and gets sent off for a high shot. Right decision, right call. But then what happens is the other front rows on the bench can't play hooker. So you saw the interaction with Michele Lamaro, the captain of Italy, and he didn't know what was going on. He didn't realise that if you couldn't bring on a front row replacement, then you get penalised by going to uncontested scrums and by being penalised and going to uncontested scrums, you've got to take another player off. So effectively, that sending off puts Italy down to 13 men. And then you're thinking it's touched from here on in. Simple as that. And that's the big thing, because it's been changed recently by World Rugby. And I know you look at the interaction on Twitter, and because everyone's been locked up for two years, everyone's angry generally, and because there seems like there's another war around the corner as well, and rightly so, everyone's pissed off. They're taking it out on World Rugby, why not? Let's just take it out on there, mate. <laughs> oh, Bill. Let's blame Bill. I know. Poor Bill. He's been over in Dubai meeting the shakes and stuff like that, getting free holidays. So it's one of them things in rugby and that happens and you're like, well, here we go. Because Italy were never going to win that game, but they were firing shots physically, 
they were firing shots. But you get down to 13, and then goodness me, Bromstein goes off. You're thinking, well, what's going to happen? It could be 100 points if there was 10 minutes left on the clock. How do you even look at how good Ireland are? You can't, because it was a game of touch in the end, as much as Italy wanted to try and make a contest of it. Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, it, it was brought in to stop the manipulation of teams using that loophole to go down to uncontested scrums. And I'm an ambassador for Wasps. I played for Leicester for 10 years and Wasps used to be the best exponents of the old uh, uncontested scrum when their scrum was getting hosed. And it was part of that, really. So there was never a ramification to go down to uncontested scrums. And ultimately, it's the ramification of foul play leads you down that pathway. And and that's what it's brought in. I don't know what the right answer to it is. You you'd never want to see someone else have to go off just because you've had someone sent off and you have to go to un- uncontested scrums. But also, you can't manipulate the laws if you're getting absolutely done over at scrum time, which teams have done in the past without a shadow of a doubt. So, yeah, it's a hard one. Maybe there's a rule that comes in that says you have to bring a front row on. Because, you know, a lot of teams are just bringing back rows on, weren't they, to make it a little bit like rugby league. And then you've got athletes, then there's even less space. But you've got to bring your slowest guy back on or you have to bring a front rower back on. You can go to uncontested scrums, but you have to have three front row on the field that aren't as explosive or or as fit as other guys that you could bring off the bench. So, Andrew, I've got a much better idea. Bring the kit man on. <laughs> yes. The kit man's got to be ready. And you bring him on. And I saw the French kit man. My goodness me, Andrew, he'd make you look small. I think he had a cigarette in his hand or it was vape at the side of the pitch. And the old cookie monster as well for Scotland when he was kit man. Something. If you're going to do something, make it comedy. Make it gold. Bring on the kit man. Even with that, Ireland's still very impressive side, aren't they? Yeah, they are. We talked about the shapes that they put on in attack, how much they've improved in that area. The way they took it to the All Blacks in in the autumn, it wasn't a fluke victory. That they're actually class in how they attack now, and they've developed that game. Yeah, you look at some of the players. Obviously, Mike Lowry, he was great on debut. Could have had a hat trick. Should have had a hat trick. Too much of a nice guy to try and steal the limelight and take the hat trick. So he passed it on to James Lowe. He'd have definitely scored that for his third. How smart! Not wearing a scrum cap. Knew that Cristal's week off fallow week. People need to know what he looks like. And that was one of the smartest moves. Mike Lowry out in Cristal's. And yeah, he was class. Wicked little player. Just so good to watch. Yeah. You know, some big performances. Van der Fleer gets man of the match. Friend of the show, Tyg Byrne, plays really well. It, I mean, you're playing against 13, so you're going to look good. I mean, it was reminiscent of Jim versus India when he went the length and scored a hat-trick. You know, it, Sometimes it just goes for you, right? And, and on Sunday for Ireland... Everything went in their favour, but they finished a lot of good stuff off. Jameson Gibson Park played well at nine. It's not a test, though, in terms of what they're going to come up against against England. So they'd have wanted stiffer challenges, but you know you can only beat what's in front of you, and they they did pretty well in doing that. Don't say stiffer, Andrew. It makes me feel funny. Ooh. Well, we can have a chat now with someone who knows the Irish camp inside and out. Jacob Stockdale's on the line. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Not too bad. Thanks for having me on. Jacob, it's class to finally have you on. It's been a long time coming and we're looking forward to spending some time with you over in Ireland, enjoying a beer in the next week or so. Don't know when. They've all folded into one. It's very soon anyway. I need to ask a question. I need to get it out of the way before we get into the meats and bones of it. Have you had your lid then or not? This is something that's been bugging me. <laughs> <laughs> no, my dad's bald, my granddad's bald, my uncle's bald. So it is coming for me. And I'll just accept them if it when the day comes it'll get shaved. Like that's a compliment. So I'm making a compliment there. Goody's shaking his head because he was hoping that that was the case. But I was just seeing a bit of thinning going on, a bit of lack of foliage, um, follicleage, whatever you call it. And and now I'm seeing a full head of hair, and it looks great. Well, thanks. I appreciate that, Jim. Cheers. I'll, I'll be honest with you. It comes with a man of experience here. It comes from your mother's side, not your father's side. So don't worry about the old man. So look down your mum's side. If it's your mum's brother and he's bold, or your mum's dad and he's bold, you're absolutely fucked. But if it's your dad's side, you're fine. If my mum's bald, they come in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. Well, mate, yeah, it's great to have you on. And like Jim said, looking forward to having uh, a few beers with you in Dublin in a couple of weeks. More importantly, though, how are you? How's the injury? Um, I know it's been a frustrating period for you. How are things your side? Yeah, really good now, to be honest. Like you said, it was pretty frustrating for me. Kind of really weird really weird injury just training ground injury and kind of tried to rehab it over the first four months and that wasn't working so went in got the surgery done and now I'm kind of like feeling pretty good because I feel like I've got a plan kind of can see the light at the end of the tunnel now 
And yeah, you know, like it is what it is. Everybody, everybody gets them and feeling pretty good about it now. How far is that light away at the end of the tunnel? Are we, we're talking weeks, we're talking in a couple of months still, are we days? No, we're talking six months, really. Six months from surgery, which realistically is talking next season. I kind of have accepted it now and just kind of looking at the positives, which means I get a full preseason under my belt, which is something I've actually never had before. I don't look at that as a positive at all, just from my perspective. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it means I can come back next season firing and, and ready to go. So, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm happy with that. I can't imagine the size you're going to be if you get a full preseason and that you're looking forward to. Absolute <laughs> monster of a man. But how are things in terms of watching rugby? Do you struggle watching the game? Is it difficult watching Ireland play well, also play well because you're not a part of it? Or are you happy for both the teams respectively? Yeah, definitely. It's definitely hard to watch, you know. like I think actually the Ulster games have found it tougher um, just because they've been going so well in Europe. You know, that big win against Claremont away is class. Like, you know, so I could just tell last week when Ulster were playing Dragons away and Gale Force wins in the piss and rain. I was, the first time I've watched the game and I was like, I'm really glad to be injured right now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, yeah, it is It is tough, definitely. Probably to a certain extent, you just don't, you, you're scared of being forgotten about, you know. Mate, size of you, I don't think anyone's going to forget you and your talents. Uh, it's just a t- matter of time when you get back. But one man that is... He's not benefiting from you being injured, but um, has certainly burst on the scene uh, in an Ulster jersey and now in an Ireland jersey. Uh, Mike Lowry, I just love saying that name. Obviously made his debut at the weekend, scored two, should have had three. He's just too nice a guy. He passed it out to James Lowe, should have had a hat-trick. Talk to us about his development then, because you've played in the back three with him for quite some time now at Ulster, and I've been watching him for a while, and he's been tearing up trees. Can't work out what he's doing, though. Scrum cap on, scrum cap off. Some weeks it's on, some weeks it's off. and I, I didn't recognise him without it. Yeah, the, the scrum cap is an interesting one. Like, I don't really, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it whatsoever. But no, in fairness, like, Mikey's a class player, like, very, very talented, very naturally gifted, but also incredibly hardworking. You know, he's one of those guys that's in half an hour before training, doing his, like, you know, prehab and, uh, like, he's in every day on the off days, kicking, all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, the guy works really, really hard. Then he's obviously, like, got the natural talent on top of it. But, um, He's such a good bloke that it's just really, really good to see him kind of get those opportunities now. And like, there was no doubt, I think, from any of the lads that we're talking to in Ulster, there was no doubt from anybody that he was going to take to international rugby the way he did. And we were just really glad to see that he did so well at the weekend. Like you said, he could have. I would have taken the hat trick. Like, no way, I was passing that. But he's a lot of my own. Absolutely. Yeah, it was class to see him. And obviously, Ireland win comfortably again. What do you make of Ireland? Can we get a gauge on what you think about the team? Because I've always said, Jacob, it's like they don't really get tested that much, both from you know a Leinster perspective, which, as we know, makes up the majority of the Irish team. It's great to see some of the Ulster lads and Connacht lads in the fold now as well. But when you look at it, and Munster lads, but when you look at it, that game at the weekend, we've arguably not learned anything about Ireland. Do you know what I mean? Their toughest game is probably ahead of them now with England. What do you make of it? Do you think that's a positive or or not going into the next game? Yeah, it's it's obviously a tough one. Um, I think probably the last game against France away was more of a more of a kind of a litmus test. To be fair, with all due respect to Italy, when you have them at home in the Six Nations and then they go down to thirteen men and eventually twelve. You know, it's it's not a particularly good test for a team like Ireland who are, who are performing very well at the moment. But I actually thought, although they didn't win the game, I think the way that they, the lads performed against France was really impressive, um, especially with the way France were going and, and the way France then subsequently played against Scotland at the weekend. You know, it shows the form they're in and, and the fact that the lads were able to, to push them so close in Paris, I thought was really impressive. So, yeah, I think next week will be an, a huge test for them. I think it'll be completely different to, to the Italy game. And I generally don't know which way it's going to go. I really don't. If it was in Ireland, I think I would be fairly confident that Ireland would pick it up. But just being a Twickenham, you know, it's a completely different ball game. And speaking to some of the lads that are in the squad, uh, which I presume you are in regular contact with, there's obviously been a, a massive change in terms of results over the last sort of year, hasn't there, really? From absolutely pulling our pants down in the Six Nations last year in that last game to beating the All Blacks to now actually the form and, and the, the shapes that they put on attack and the accuracy. As much change or is it just that that squad are 
more cohesive together now. They understand how the coaches want them to play and they, they just get better at what they do week in, week out? Or has there been some seismic shift in an actual tactical change that, that's gotten to this point? Because they're on fire. Yeah, I don't I no, I don't think there's been any major major changes to be honest. I think, you know, with the way that, that Joe Schmidt wanted us to play, it was very, you know, everybody has the role and they do their role to down to a T and, and if we do that then we win. And I think, you know, well when Faz came over, he I think he brought a pretty different approach to it. He kinda was very much I suppose Faz along with Mike Cat, you know, brought this attacking structure, kinda going, Look, you guys are smart rugby players, you're all very talented. You know, you can recognize the space and you need to just move the ball to that space. So I think, in fairness, that's the kind of shape that takes a while to get used to, you know, and it takes a while to get everybody on the same page. So I think that's really what, what you're seeing there was the first couple of months, it took a while for, for the team to kind of get into shape. But, you know, once they did, then they, they were able to start firing. And, and now you're seeing the fruits of that where they're just playing great rugby. Man, they look phenomenal. They look really, really good. One of the things, Jacob, and um, we're good mates with Stevie Ferris. He's been on the show loads. We've had him at live shows, chatting to him. And without looking too far forward, and I hate talking about World Cups because I think winning a Six Nations and a Grand Summer, no Ireland can't this year, but winning a Six Nations championship is enough in itself. But surely this Irish team are looking forward to the World Cup because notoriously in years gone by, Ireland have struggled. Do you think that's something they're speaking about in camp, is it something they're speaking about or is it about the Six Nations? Well, I mean, so I haven't been in camp in a while now, but we had a camp like before the start of this season and, and you know, it, it was made very clear that that over the next two years, that was, that was the goal, you know, to to push towards being in form at the right time for the World Cup. So, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely a goal of theirs. And obviously, I'm hoping that I'll be able to have a bit of involvement in that as well. But, uh, yeah, no, I think Ireland... You know, has pretty famously underperformed at, at, at pretty much every World Cup. You know, we've been at, and that's that's definitely disappointing for for the play the playing group that I've been involved with and the playing group right now. You know, so I think it'll definitely be a goal uh, moving forward. And you know, it's just about picking at the right time, isn't it? Really, for 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 those World Cup cycles. Looking ahead, you guys have also got this tour to New Zealand, uh, which they're already starting to talk about down New Zealand, especially after a couple of big wins you guys have had over them recently. What are the expectations for that series, do you think? Well, I mean, <laughs> New Zealand's never an easy place to go. And it's definitely like there are going to be three tough, tough tests. So obviously the goal is to win those games. You know, like that's always going to be the goal. And, you know, I think probably a, a realistic goal would be just to try and win the series. I don't think, you know, in New Zealand you're ever going to win all three. Um, and I think, you know, winning the series is, is a massive achievement in itself. Um, so that'll definitely be the goal. Whether that actually happens or not, I think we'll see. Because you know, I'd say yeah, there's a lot of uh, New Zealanders that uh, were pretty hurt by the the game in November, and you know they're going to come out all guns blazing. Let's go back to Ulster then, because Ulster are, are going pretty well at the minute. Obviously, second in the table in the URC into the knockout stage of Europe as well. Really positive place to be. I've been involved in a few games of BT Sport that Ulster have played in, and playing some decent rugby. Hume in the centres is ridiculously good at the minute as well, and um, there, there seems to be a real feel good factor coming out of there. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Like, been a fantastic place to be involved with for the last kind of year and a half, two years. Um, you know, now that Dan McFarland has come in and really stamped his authority on it, it's been class. It's a similar vibe to, to the Ireland team, you know, that kind of, you know where the ball needs to be and, and get, get it to the space. And when you have lads like Neil Coomer and Mikey Larry and like Rob Balakoon, Ethan McElroy, all these boys in the, you know, as outside backs, like they're dangerous attackers and they're able to, able to shift the ball, you know. Jimmer's been brilliant, I thought, this season. You know, he really, really matured as a player and, and has really, you can see it on the pitch, you know. Hasn't matured that much off the pitch, like, but uh, <laughs> he was actually at my wedding. He was um, he was in a fountain in his boxers at 4am, so he was, so. I like him even more. Yeah, he hasn't matured that much, like. <laughs> oh, that's class. Um, Jacob, lastly from me, can I call you Stock Horse or not? Do I just call you Jacob? Are we mates now ahead of the live show? What do I call you? You can call me whatever you want. Okay, Stock Horse. That, that makes that makes us sound more connected. Just call me Big Horse. My old coach used to call me Big Horse. They called you the Donkey Jim. 
They did. They actually they did come with a donkey. <laughs> Big horse sounds better. From an Irish perspective, going into this game against England, and we know they're always massive games. Just give us a kind of insight into the Irish camp when they come up against the English and what you think about England as well, because we're trying to dissect it. And my opinion is we don't really know how good this England team are. And we know that there's two big games for them, Ireland and France coming up. But what do you make of it leading, leading into this game in a couple of weeks? Yeah, well, like, I mean, in terms of the, the messaging that's going to be, well, I imagine is going to be through the week, it's going to be, you know, down to physicality. You know, you look at probably the last three or four Six Nations games between Ireland and England and, you know, it, it does down, come down to physicality. Who's the more physically dominant team on the day? So, obviously, with a kind of pretty new-look England team, I think that's potentially going to be an opportunity for Ireland to, you know, try and stamp that, that physical dominance early on. But, like you said, it is a new England team, you know, there's some very exciting like you know players who have come into the fold now and on their day you never know what they're going to be able to do so I think it's going to be it's going to be a cracking game I'm going over to watch it and I can't wait to be honest yeah certainly well now Jim mentioned Kenny Cooley the stock horse we talk about you when you're fit and firing on the podcast a bit and I said you're the stock horse because you're as big as a horse and you run like a racehorse so it's a massive compliment what is your nickname have you got a nickname is it something that you're happy to share with the millions on the podcast do you know what I actually don't I don't have a nickname now the stock horse it is then hey I'll call you stock horse you call me big horse or hard horse whichever one I'm happy with that <laughs> alright stock horse well thank you very much for coming on the show mate and uh, best of luck getting over that injury no worries cheers guys thanks for having me on cheers mate we'll see you in Dublin cheers mate looking forward to it all right, that's later. Bye, bye. Top bloke. Top lad. Yeah. What, what, mate, why are you starting off with the hair banter for? It's just been something that's bugging me. He, didn't he? He had the flowing locks, and then he made, I, I think he was on fire for a bit with the long hair. Then he shaved it off. When he shaved it off, he looked like one of the Kovskins. <laughs> he did. He looked. Like, he genuinely looked like Kovskin. He looked like Kovskin and his Polish mate, Phil. I mentioned to Stevie Ferris, I was like, why is he shaved his hair and Stevie said to me he's going thin now we know that Stevie Ferris he's thinner than thin Stevie Ferris he's gone he's effectively gone he's effectively bald yeah. I'll be blowing that off when I see him you could literally blow the last few whispers of Stevie Ferris's hair off his head yeah especially now he's had a kid as well so that's why so that's why I had to ask the question because it was bugging me because when I'm commentating or whenever I see Stock Horse I'm like is he isn't he and he's well he said his mum's bald did he is that what he said I think he does. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, lovely guy. It's, it's something about these Northern Irish boys. They're good lads, aren't they? Genuinely are. You know, they come on. They're very humble. Nice guy. Like he is. We're on fire and on form and fitness. You'd hate to try and stop him. Would you smash him, Jim, or not? Probably not. He'd, he'd skin you alive, wouldn't he? Well, the old me, I probably would have. If I just hit him straight on, I probably would have sat him down, yeah. But I don't anyway, so. I'm, not, I'm long gone. I'm long <laughs> past it. When you look at players now and you look at, Stock horse, and you look at Mike Lowry, and people say, Who's the hardest player you've ever come up against? Do you know what I mean? That that's something that gets thrown around all the time. For me, it was two things. One was the Georgian winger, I can't even remember his name, who was the size of Stock Horse, who sat me down in the 2011 World Cup when Georgia ne- nearly beat us. And the other <laughs> one would be like a Mike Lowry or a Shane Williams that would skin you, and then you'd be on their highlight reels forever. That's what scared <laughs> me the most. So yeah. I hope to see him get back. It must be tough. It must be tough watching. Ireland doing really well and you know he was part of that kind of growth and the evolution under Andy Farrell as well and, and Ulster as well who've struggled in recent years who are now coming to the fore and looking really good so lovely bloke great to have him on looking forward to sharing 15 responsibly with him uh, Guinnesses on the live show soon well let's have a look at your match point results then Goody you're on fire three correct predictions and calling the England margin of victory so you're up to 329th well you know just no, my ruggers, don't I? Jim, how are you getting on? Well, I forgot to press play. I genuinely <laughs> forgot to press load this weekend. I didn't do all three. I, I obviously spoke about it last week, and I didn't press play. And then I was in denial before the Italy-Ireland game that I thought if I did that, then I would have obviously got it right. But then I couldn't make the excuse today, so I didn't bother doing that one either. So I am going for Italy to beat Scotland next week, Wales to put 50 on France, <laughs> and England to beat Ireland. Well, you're in 2,550th place, Jim. Embarrassing. All right, well, okay. I've fallen on my sword. Make sure you get your predictions in early and don't forget to claim some of the thousands of pints that are won every week. And if you want to win a few more, check out the Match Pint Quiz on Thursday. Well, let's have a quick look at the Premiership now then. What a game between Northampton and Exeter. Simple as this, Andrew. Joe Simmons kicked the winner again, mate. So simple as that, was it, or not? Well, it was a pretty decent game, actually. The sun was out. 
at Cinch Franklin's Gardens, as they call it now. It's decent ding-dong, actually. And at Exeter Gym, I think a lot of them listen to the podcast. A lot of them understand that you've written them off and you're not putting them in the top four. And where are they now, James? They've fought their way back and they are fourth in the table. So they had a good win. Saints will be frustrated. They got themselves into a winning position. Augustus looks really good at number eight. thought Dingwell played really well in the centres. Yeah, Proctor was good as well. But Exeter, Hollywood Burn scores a worldie with a great finish from a Joe Simmons crossfield kick, Jim. Josh Hodge scored a really good try from a first phase line-out play, skinned uh, Tom Collins. So yeah, Exeter were good. And then they... Yeah, they, they, they nailed it out. It was a decent game in the sun, and it makes such a difference. Summer rugby, Jim, you were right when you tweet that. Well, not according to the cricket lovers. <laughs> <laughs> but what we do know is Exeter in the top four. Um, you said they won't make it, Jim, so we shall see. What are the other big results from the weekend, Goody? The Freddie Burns show carries on, I'll be honest. And it's been a big few weeks for Freddie, and I'll come on to him a, a little bit later. Played really well against Gloucester, man of the match again, his old club, another one of his old clubs where, you know, he's he's spent a bit of time and he performed very well for Leicester. They win again, Jasper Visa. There's some real canny signings at that club that were made pre-Steve Borthwick that are now really coming to fruition. Jasper Visa, one of them. When you're not losing that many players in the Six Nations and you've got the likes of Jasper Visa, Hanro, Liebenberg as well, these sort of boys that just go banging boys for fun. Freddie Burns is a class sign as well. They're in a good spot, Leicester, obviously. Good result for Leicester, but Gloucester, uh, I think, will be frustrated they didn't get anything out of the game. Wasps lost at Bristol. Doesn't matter. We won't talk about that one. The, the big game, the decent game, was uh, Salem London Irish. Decent draw on Friday night. And how weird's this? Two games they played against each other this year, both ended up in draws. I'm not sure how many times that had happened in the Premiership, but um, Irish were producing some good stuff at the weekend. Fafta Clerk back for sale, playing well. Decent draw there. But yeah, some decent fixtures over the over the weekend. And um, you know, the, the standout performers were probably Leicester as ever, sitting top of the table. Well, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yes, let's, Andy Rowe. And we're going to start off in your area of the world, where you are right now, Andy Rowe, New Zealand. Bit of super touch. Super Pacific touch rugby, whatever it's called. Anyway, the finish to the Hurricanes against the Blues was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Canes produced one of the biggest comebacks ever, coming back from 18 points down with nine minutes to go to win it with an Ardy severe try at the death, 33 points to 32. I have a question, though. You think back, we've been through this pandemic, and you remember when we were all shut down, we were all locked down, no sport going on, and all of a sudden you're watching New Zealand and we're watching games at Eden Park and it's absolutely ramdingoed. It was play behind closed doors again at the weekend. There was no no fans. What's happening, Andy Rowe? Don't get me started. 82,000 at Twickenham. Loads of fans all over Stadia across Europe and wherever. New Zealand, you, they're all closed again. What's happening? They were just trying to keep the numbers down until I had my wedding and then they can open it up and let COVID rip. So there we go. There we go. Uh, what else was good? We could, we've always got to talk about one of my old teams in the good. Wasps? No, there aren't many to talk about this week. There is one, though. Breathe, me old breath. They've been in bad form, and they've been in the bad a few times this year, but they get a mention this week beating Toulon, 17-10 at home, so shout out to the Breathe Massive. Uh, sticking in France, friend of the show, Zach Holmes. I've bagged Toulouse over the last few weeks. They lost six on the spin, didn't they, in the top 14? Well, courtesy of friend of the show, Zach Holmes, he kicked all 12 points, including a winning penalty to beat Bordeaux 12-11. An absolute thriller. So big shout out to Zach Holmes ending Toulouse's losing run in the top 14. What else was good? Let's stay in Europe because we like Europe. And it's the Rugby Europe Championship, James. Everyone talks about Georgia getting promoted or Romania. No, no, no. Española. Español. C-W-D. <laughs> the Spanish beat Romania 38-21 and are now top ahead of Georgia and Romania in the Rugby Europe Championship. So uh, massive shout out to all our friends in Spain. And if you want to do a live show in Ibiza, Mallorca, where else should we go, Jim? Well, Madrid, Alicante, Benidorm, Benidorm. Fuck not, Benidorm. Barcelona, we'll do a live show over there. So uh, yeah, massive shout out to everyone in Spain uh, sitting top of the Rugby Europe Championship. Freddie Burns mentioned him. Just briefly, a second ago, big few weeks, man of the match performances against Saints a few weeks back, who was outstanding against Bath two weeks ago. And this week, another of his old teams, Gloucester, uh, another man of the match performance. So big shout out to Freddie Burns. Let's move on. We'll go to Scotland, Jim. And, you know, there might be a couple of things to put in there. I'm going to put one in there. And it's Rory Darge. Hell of a first test start for him. 14 carries, eight tackles, three turnover steals. 
and a try. So the only positive that could come out of Scotland at the weekend, realistically, from the men's team was uh, Rory Darge. So we'll give him a shout out. There was another positive as well from the women's game. And I've got to give him a shout out because I, I embarrassed myself at the weekend. I was in the Scotland Business Club, the Cameron House Business Club, and the women were there celebrating, qualifying for the World Cup, having beaten who I said, Cameroon. Turns out it was Colombia. But it started with a C and they were laughing at me and they were slightly annoyed. So I said I'd give them a shout out. So the ladies team from Scotland qualifying for the World Cup in Dubai. Not that the World Cup's in Dubai, but they were in Dubai where they qualified having beaten Colombia, not Cameroon. Big shout out to them as they go to New Zealand. And they're in the pool with New Zealand. Good luck with that. I mean, hell of a story nonetheless. But big shout out to the women's rugby in Scotland. Yeah, there we go. Just not the men's in this week's good. Let's carry on then. Mike Lowry. Uh, gets a mention in the goo this week. Two tries on test debut. Should have had a hat-trick, as we've spoken about, but uh, was too much of a decent bloke to pass it on to James Lowe. What else was good? Alex Cuthbert thought he was absolutely outstanding. Newborn daughter in the week, uh, 50th cap, and then a hell of a performance to top that off. Uh, so some really good stuff across the world of rugby. France get a mention as well. Ridiculous and unplayable at times, especially for Marathana's try. So... They look like the best team in the world at the minute. They were outstanding uh, against Scotland. But the good this week goes to one man. We're going back there, Jim. A uh, friend of yours, friend of mine, played with him. The man that has broken Jason Leonard's record of 114 caps for England's men's most cap player ever. Ben Youngs has gone one step further. Got his 115th cap at the weekend. Came off the bench, steadied the ship a little bit. Played particularly well when he came on. But to break that record, 115 caps becoming England men's most capped international ever. Ben Youngs gets the good this week. Uh, bad, few bits of bad. We're going to go to Newcastle. Mentioned them earlier. That's seven losses on the spin in the Premiership, losing at home to Bath. So not great from the Newcastle Falcons. Over to France, Perpignan, taking 50 uh, at Clermont. Not a good look for, for Perpignan, not going so well in the top 14 anymore. Uh, so they get mentioned the bad. Manu's hamstring gets mentioned the bad. So excited to see him play. Everyone was absolutely desperate to see Manu in a white shirt. Well, apart from the Welsh boys. Everyone wanted to see Manu in that white shirt, back, fit and firing. Then he pulls out after tweaking his hamstring. I just blame Eddie Jones. Training loads, mate. Mate, nah, mate. He's got to train hard, mate. He's got to do more training, mate. Sale have gotten through a couple of weeks. He's playing exceptionally well. They've got him fit and firing. One week with Eddie Jones. His hammy's gone again. So bad news for Manu. Bad news for England. I blame Eddie Jones. Poor old Manu's hamstring. Uh, what else is bad? Rules is rules, as Jim Hamilton says, that he took from Michael Holford, didn't you, James? I did. Rules is rules, but you can't say rules now because you've got to say laws. Yeah, you have. Uh, Italy going down to 13 men because of the uncontested scrums and the red card. Those laws just need looking at, I think, at international rugby. Uh, there's got to be another way of doing it when it's an out-and-out issue. If it looks like it's being manipulated, then they won't take the risk. But if it's an out-and-out red card or something like that where it just ruins the game, then perhaps those laws need to be looked at. Uh, Scotland, not Scotland, Finn's work rate gets mentioned the bad this week, Jim, just for that one video. It's, it's not great, but I've got to mention it because he gets in the good a lot for his worldly skills. Uh, but the bad this week has to go, unfortunately, it's sad news again. The loss of two unbelievable players of their time uh, last week in Joely Vindiri and Vainga Twigamala. Sad to see them both pass away in a week, and it's been really tough for everyone across the rugby world with some big names passing away recently. So uh, thoughts and prayers go with everyone, the friends and family of Joely Mundiri and Vainga Twigamala's family. So, um, yeah, really sad news. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, then the ugly, two bits of ugly, both from the same game. Brian Baird's hit on Alessandro Fusco. It was a clear shoulder to the head. How it's not been sanctioned or looked at or anything. He was upright. There was no action taken. That was one tackle. But then the other tackle in that game, and what gets the ugly this week, is the hit and the red card for Hamy Fiver for Italy on Dan Sheehan. Clear shoulder to the head, the neck, whatever it was. It was pretty forceful, upright. You just can't even tackle like that anymore. So, um, yeah, Hamy Fiver, you get the ugly this week. Thanks, Scooty. And you guys have got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, firstly, we want to give a big shout out to all our listeners in Ukraine who tune in to the podcast and everyone in Ukraine with what's happening over there. We're watching it unfold on the news and it's terrible and it's scary. And we're wishing you all and your family and friends all the best here from everyone on the Rugby Pod. 
If you want to help out, we've donated to the Ukraine Red Cross, but as you know, and as you've probably seen and are fully aware, there's loads of charities and organisations that are helping out. It's easy to say, stay strong. I've never been in that situation. We've never been in that situation, but we are thinking about you every day, every morning we wake up and watch the news and hopefully it'll be over soon. So a big shout out to everyone in Ukraine from here at the Rugby Pod. Yeah, definitely. hope everyone's okay in Ukraine under the awful circumstances we find us in. Uh, also, a shout out to the family and friends of 17-year-old Niall Stringer, who played for Rochford 100 and Old Brentwoods Rugby Clubs in Essex. He sadly took his own life last week. A memorial game is being organised to honour Niall, who was loved by so many people. It's on the 1st of May this year at Old Brentwoods RFC, uh, and it's about raising awareness so people know however bad things seem, there's always support and help out there. So keep talking, keep listening, keep supporting each other. And our thoughts are with the friends and family of Niall Stringer right now. Yeah, absolutely. We've also got a shout out to Irvin Rugby in North Ayrshire in Scotland. And we know Ayrshire Bulls, they're a good team. But they've had some important games coming up and need a buzz to get the players back involved. So hopefully, with the help of your vice-captain, Jim Hamilton, we can get players back training and get some new players interested, get the numbers up. I know it's cold and wet and windy, but that's Scotland. So that's that. if that's not enough to have fired you up, even me saying that's Scotland, then nothing will. But a big shout out to you in the north of Ayrshire. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Gertie. Thanks, producer Tristan. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rugby spot. Spot a pod, 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 pod. <laughs>